You know, the why of, of Christmas, the why of Christmas is a really important thing. It's not very well known out there in the public domain anymore. But the Bible states really clearly that Jesus was born as a saviour. A better word in today's language is probably a rescuer, someone that would come and rescue. He had a mission, and that was to seek and save the, the lost. But the difficulty is today, most people would say, well, I didn't know I was lost. Or they would say, I don't believe in your God, so why should I care anyway? Or they'll say, that's your truth, I've got my own truth. That's how people talk these days, isn't it? Yeah. And a lot of people say, well, I'm basically a good person. And they kind of mean, well, if there is anything beyond this, I've been a good person, so I'm okay. And, you know, there's going to be ample opportunity for us to be able to interact with people over Christmas and then on into the holiday season as well. And, and I want to encourage you to be listening to what I have to say today with that in mind. Um, you know, when I, when I go surfing, um, people often get into trouble um, surfing. John Scott and I went surfing um, it was just before winter, actually. And uh, John had just got a brand new board. And on his first day out, he got to rescue someone. How about that, eh? Does, isn't that prophetic of John Scott? That he'll rescue you if you're in trouble? You know, but with surfing and, and swimming, people often get into trouble before they even realize they are in trouble. They're just suddenly going sideways or out, and they don't even realize it. And then if they do realize it, what will people often do? They will panic, and they will try to swim to shore, which is the way to drown. And you need to swim sideways and let the rip do whatever it does and get over into the, out of the rip by going sideways to it, and the waves will bring you back into sea. But isn't that just like what people do? A lot of people are in major trouble but have no awareness of that trouble. Or if they do know that spiritually things are just messed up, they're not in a good place, they'll often try to rescue themselves. And the Bible tells us really clearly that we can't, but God sent a rescuer. So how it came about was what we've been singing about. Let me just read the scripture that's probably pretty well known to you. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was engaged to marry Joseph, but before they married, she learned she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Mary's husband Joseph was a good man, he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he planned to divorce her secretly. While Joseph thought, uh, while Joseph thought about these things, an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream, and the angel said, Joseph, descendant of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the baby in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's not talked about very much out in the world today, is it? Sin, sin is not a concept people want to hear about. All this happened to bring about what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be pregnant. She will have a son and they will name him Emmanuel which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the Lord's angel had told him to do. Joseph took Mary as his wife, and he did not have sexual relations with her until um, she gave birth to the son. And Joseph named him Jesus. And so Jesus is a savior or a rescuer or a wrong writer. Could you say wrong writer? A wrong writer. Have another go at it. You have to make sure you... Not a right wronger, but a wrong writer. In other words, someone who puts right things that we've done wrong. 
Now, this time of year, you occasionally see nativity scenes. We should see more of them. I hope we'll have one here on, on New Year's Eve, uh, Christmas Eve. Um, we just need some people to help uh, make that happen. So you, there's an advert for you. Um, but sometimes they're built even outside churches. And, and two boys were watching a life-size nativity scene being built in front of a church. And one of the boys asked the other one, what's that going to be? And the other one answered, I know what it is. They're building a live fertility scene. <laughs> and it's not quite that. And there was a Sunday school teacher who got her class to draw the nativity scene. And one boy did a really fine job in the drawing. And he drew the baby in a manger. He drew Mary, Joseph, animals. But the teacher noticed that he'd drawn a little fat man beside the manger as well. And she asked, Jimmy, that's not Santa, is it? Because Santa's not actually part of the nativity. And Jimmy was indignant. He said, of course not. That's round John Virgin. You know the song, round John Virgin, mother and mild. <laughs> you know, it's actually quite hard to find scenes of the nativity even on cards today because our culture is trying to screen Jesus to the background. We are celebrating something, but we've forgotten the reason why we're celebrating. So we're inventing new things. And it's quite hard to get nativity scenes on Christmas cards. And I heard of a lady who did last-minute shopping, and she purchased a box of identical Christmas cards. And without reading the verse, she just signed it all, and she sent them off, except one. And about a week later, she happened to see that one, and she opened it up to read it. And this is what it said. It says, this card is just to say, a little gift is on the way. Be easy to do, wouldn't it, in the busyness of your brain scrambling, and the busyness of life. You know, there was an, an American school class that put on their annual Christmas play, and one of the boys in the class was bitterly disappointed that he wasn't chosen to be Joseph. Instead, he was given the role of an innkeeper, which is a pretty insignificant role. He just gets to open the door and say, not here in the stable. And so during rehearsal, he brooded, what can I do, what can I do? And it comes to the night of the play, and he wants to get everyone back. And so when Joseph and Mary come to the inn door and they knock, and Joseph asks, asks is there any room in the inn? He says, yes, come in. You can have the best room in the house. <laughs> and they're kind of like this, and Joseph thinks really quickly, and he says, hang on, Mary. And he says, I'll just have a look inside. And he looks in, and he goes, there's no way I'm taking my wife into a mess like that. Come on, Mary, we'll go to the stable. <laughs> and the play's back on track again. <laughs> but you know, the, the nativity isn't the nativity without a baby. The baby's essential. There was another school play in America that I read about, and, and the brochure said all the cast will be played by members of the eighth grade except baby Jesus, who will be played by a concealed 40-watt light bulb. <laughs> I had a friend years ago now who, who was, um, his, they got their, their nativity scene out, and their, their son, Jordan, who was four at the time, was, was setting it up. And he'd almost finished setting up the nativity scene when he realized that Jesus was missing. And he searched for Jesus, but he couldn't find the, the little... Uh, baby Jesus, and so he made his parents take the whole thing down, and he would not allow it to be set up. That boy was theologically correct. Because you see, Jesus is essential to Christmas. 
Without Jesus, there's no nativity. You think about it. You could take any of the other characters away. You could take away the animals. You could take away Mary. You could take away Joseph. You could take away the three wise men if they were there as well. But if you take away the baby, there's no point. There is no nativity. And in just the same way, Jesus is essential to a Christian's life. Can I get an amen? amen? He's not an extra that we pray to in the morning and go out and do our own thing. He, he comes and he lives within us and he's guiding us and he's directing us and he's speaking to us. You know, we believe that Jesus is not only what we believe, but it's what we actually live and experience every single day. He's not a philosophy. He's not a belief that, that centers around the right, the, some writings that he wrote, uh, like every other major religion. Jesus never left any written record at all. It was others who wrote about what he'd said and what he'd done. And, and, and we're, we're not honoring someone who's died and the grave was way back there. We're honoring a, a God, Jesus, who has risen to life and the grave is empty and the world then and the world today cannot explain how the grave is empty except that he resurrected and he was who he said he was. And when he came as a baby, he was just fulfilling the pathway to that, to the resurrection. You so taking Jesus out of Christianity is like taking the numbers out of maths. Oh, I'll just count those. No, I won't. There's nothing you can do if there's no numbers. It's gone. And if you look closely at the nativity scene, you'll notice that everyone's looking at the baby. It's true, isn't it? You think about all the nativity. Have a look at the nativity scene on the way through to the cafe afterwards that's out in the foyer. And you'll see that everybody is looking and focused at the baby. They're worshipping this humble little baby that's been born. It's as, it's as if everybody that's there had a sense of the future. This was the promised one. This was the king. This was the long-awaited Messiah, the savior of the entire human race. And the shepherds knew, and Mary and Joseph knew, and the angels knew, and the wise men knew that he was the only hope for humankind's brokenness on the inside. The only hope for that. And suddenly, he'd come. You know, inside of us, we all have a conscience. Please raise your hand if you've lost yours. <laughs> it's true. We all have a conscience. And that conscience tells us that we've done things wrong. And it might have started when you stole that first cookie and your mother didn't know, you think. But it's gone on to many, many things some of which you're deeply ashamed of and you would love to turn the hands of time back and be able to not do those things, not say those things, not think those things, but you can't. And that's what brings guilt into people's lives. And at some person, every single person on the planet who's done wrong, which is every single one of us, needs to come face to face with someone who can be a wrong writer them. And there's only one person that's ever lived on this planet that is a wrong writer. This baby is a rescuer. 
So why is this so important? I mean, we can just carry on. We can go to lunch. We can have something on in the afternoon. We can have tea tonight. Why is it so important that we consider this and think about it and try to share this with a world that's forgotten Jesus? Well, let me just say something that today in the public, uh, public square is not acceptable. Evolution isn't true. It's not empirical science. There's nothing that can be done to prove it and to repeat what apparently happened. There is no concrete evidence that's ever been discovered. In fact, we've discovered that cells that we were told when you went to school were simple and slowly became complex. We've discovered that they're actually completely complex from the very beginning, that it has something called irreducible complexity within it, that everything that's needed is within just the very first one cell that's there. When I went to school, our teachers were more honest. They called it the theory of evolution. Today, they've taken the word theory out, and they say this is a fact. It's actually a faith belief. You know, we can, we can do hip replacements. We can put laparoscopic something or others inside of us and cut bits out and do things. But when someone's eye gets macular degeneration and it's gone, it's gone. We can make computers. And yet we believe that somehow by chance this and this and this and this made the wonder of a human being or a planet or a universe. It actually takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in a creative, intelligent designer that we call God. Evidence doesn't support evolution. Evidence points towards Someone intelligent who created all that we are. And the Bible tells us that this intelligent designer became a little baby. And the one who designed and built the universe was inside of Mary and came down her birth canal as a beautiful, and born as a beautiful baby. And the Bible also says there's a life after death. And people like to say, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But do you know researchers have research on over 8 million life-after-death experiences now in the last 30 years as medical science has just gone through amazing breakthroughs. And wherever you are on the planet, it's, it's pretty constant as, as to what is recorded, that all of a sudden, in an instant, instead of death, they are, let people levitate above their body, and they're looking down at what's going on, perhaps in a, in a theater where they're being operated on, and they can hear what's, what's happening, and then whisked to another place spiritually, and then somehow coming back to life again. And the Bible says that we will all face judgment for all the things that we've done in our lives after we die. And we've all done wrong. Now, hopefully it's not murder, but things like lying and stealing or coveting and people get involved in gossip and sexual sin and drunkenness and drugs and gluttony and unforgiveness. And as this, uh, this realization that we're guilty and we will be accountable to a, to a holy God, we find ourselves at some point in our lives where we cry out, who can help me? I'm, as Isaiah did, I am completely undone. 
and I look at everyone else around me and the whole society is undone. Who can help me? And praise God, there's a baby that was born over 2,000 years ago who was God's answer to help every one of us. He's a wrong writer. And you know, we should never think that sin doesn't matter because the creator, the intelligent designer of the universe had to become one of us to be able to solve the problem that sin is for, for every single one of us. Now in a moment, well maybe I'll go back just a little bit. You see, the sin problem started way back with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve aren't a myth. I was intrigued to read on stuff of all places that um, science has now proved that the human race, this was what the article said, the human race comes from two people. I was intrigued on stuff of all places <laughs> to read that science has now, they've got a theory here that the whole human race, no matter what nationality and race we are a part of, people group we are a part of, all trace back to two people. Does that sound like anything you've ever read before? <laughs> and, and when Adam and Eve sinned, something marred, something broke, something was infused into the human <laughs> DNA that wasn't there before. And blow me down, every single one of us has got this propensity to do wrong and to sin. And we think, how could all this evil, how could there be 60-something wars happening on the planet on this very day? And it's because when Adam and Eve sinned, something that was never supposed to be there, that was not put there by God, happened, and it's called theologically the fall. And every single human being that's been born after that is born with this gene deficiency or however it actually works within, within the makeup of people that we have a sin nature that leads us into things that are to do with selfishness and all sorts of things. And so God immediately for Adam and Eve killed some animals and covered them, gave them clothes to cover their nakedness. And then he set up a, a sacrificial system as a payment for sin where animal sacrifice, animals would be sacrificed. And it went on for, for thousands of years as a substitute for the sinner. And the people would come to the temple and they would repent of their sins and they would kill the animal and they would rejoice, go away happy that their sins had been forgiven. But their problem was their sin wasn't actually yet forgiven. It was forgiven in principle. This is where Visa came from. You swipe the visa, and you take the goods from the, from the shop, but have you actually paid for them yet? No. The jolly end of the month is coming. And at the end of the month, you pay the money, but this visa swipe back here gave you the goods. And every animal, every lamb, a lamb can't atone or make up for a human being's sin. But God said, visa swipe, that's okay. Visa swipe, that's okay. And the people, they were, they were doing it in, with an honesty in their heart, and God just released to them on the basis of the end of the month that was coming. 
And there's the end of the month. It's a little baby who got born over 2,000 years ago. He's God's wrong writer. It's the most amazing, incredible thing. And you see, a lamb can't atone or pay for a human being's sin. No human being can pay for, so you can't even kill a human. It's not at that level either. Only, only God would have the, the, the worth and the wealth and the resource to be able to atone for a human being's sin, let alone every human being's sin. But hang on, God couldn't die for human beings because it was human beings that got themselves into trouble, so it had to be a human being that would die. Somehow we had to put God and human beings together into a little baby who would grow up as a God-man, fully God and yet fully human, who when the time came for the sacrifice would be worthy enough to pay the price. Tell you what, the devil never knew this. <laughs> Nobody would have ever thought of this plan. Only someone brainy enough to be given the name God could ever have devised a plan that would actually cover every single base. And they were looking at the future. And they were knowing this was the one who had been prophesied about. And they couldn't believe it was happening in front of their eyes. But in hope and in trust and in belief, because, I mean, supernatural stuff was happening all around them. They couldn't sign and not believe. Shepherds had walked for miles because they'd been told by some big guys, hey, bro, get down there. Jesus would be the actual wrong writer. And in a moment, we're going to get the opportunity to, to worship, to gaze at Jesus, like all the attention fixed there, the one who forgives our wrongs. But we're not going to be looking at a 40-watt light bulb or a doll representing him, but at the items that for 2,000 years have symbolized Jesus in grape juice and bread, the juice representing the costly blood of Jesus that forgives or covers our, our, our sin and forgives. And the bread represents his broken body that brings healing and life into us. And I just want for a moment to, to, um, for you to imagine that I had the ability to transport you back to the cave, to the stable, where you could actually stand around there as well at the time of Jesus' birth. Could you see yourself worshiping there, kneeling before him, giving thanks to God for his life and his sacrifice? I think probably most people in the room could actually do that. But, you know, there may be one or two here today who you've never made that decision to actually follow Jesus, to actually ask for forgiveness for all the wrongs in your life and, and to give your life to him. But one day you're going to be faced with this, all the stuff of your life, and you're going to have to deal with it. And you can search and you can search and you can search all over the world, but you won't find another answer other than that baby. You need Jesus. Every sinner needs Jesus. Because he's the only one that, that can rescue. And at Christmas, 
God is saying, you matter to me, and here is the gift that I have for you. It's my own son who will save you. You know, you don't walk away from a gift that's like that. So I guess I'm just speaking to one or two people here today, but we all have to choose. And you know, today can be the day when you make that choice personal for yourself and you say, I know I've done things that are wrong in my life and I need to be forgiven. And I want to accept Jesus into my heart today. I wonder if we could just have every head bowed. And I'm just, today, all I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've never prayed that prayer before, I just invite you to pray it. If you pray it from your heart, the inside of you will radically change. And God will bring you into his, into his kingdom. Jesus will come and live inside of you. And you will find you, you are living a completely different life. But I've got one condition that if you pray this prayer and you've never prayed it before, I would like you to do this. I'd like you at some stage to come and tell me. Come and say to me, just come up alongside and say, I prayed that prayer. I just want to let you know. So why don't we all pray it together, but if you're praying it for the first time, that's my condition for you. Jesus, I've struggled with who you are all my life. I haven't known for sure if you're real or if you're real that you're good and you're interested in people. But today, I choose to decide for you and not against you. I acknowledge I'm a wrongdoer and I need a wrong writer who has done everything for me. Thank you for dying on the cross so I can be forgiven. I ask you to forgive me, to transform me, to clean me up on the inside and make me new. And I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I really look forward to having you come up and say to me, you can just, just say it quietly. I prayed that today for the first time. But you know, I want to just put a challenge out to every single person who is here also before we take communion. Perhaps the elders can just help by preparing uh, the table and taking the elements so that we can serve um, together. But my challenge is this. In the public square society and the you know the bible says we wrestle against we don't wrestle against flesh and blood there's principalities and there's powers and what they're trying to do is just take jesus right out of all conversation over christmas and over um over the holiday season I, my challenge to you is to say to be willing to say to god god i'm willing to have some conversations this year and then see what he does will you do it Will you, will you take that step today? You know, God will take you at his word, at your word, sorry, but will you actually say that to him? Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, I'm willing to step out for you. I'm willing, if you'll create some opportunities, I will go fishing and see where it leads. Will you say that to him today? Father, I just pray your blessing will be on us now as we just 
focus in on you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you that this is not a myth, this is not a routine. Your love for the world is, is just as great as it ever was, Lord. Thank you that you broke into our lives. And I pray that you will give us opportunity to share some things that will enable you to break into other people's lives over this holiday season. So take us at our word, Lord. We love you. We thank you for coming. Thank you for starting the process. And Lord, may the love that's in us bubble out into our lives and circumstances as we go into this week and this last build up um, to Christmas Day. Thank you that we know the reason for the season. And his name is Jesus. Amen. We're going to put some music up on the screens and it'll come over the system, obviously. But when you're ready, um, this represents our sin. This represents the wrong writing. And so when you're ready and you've done your own talking with the Lord, just come forward and take communion together and then Robert will close.
you haven't received communion yet, just raise your hand if you're unable to come down the front. What an awesome service. What an awesome day. What an awesome period we're, we're moving into it um, as a people as well. Let's pray. Jesus, I really just want to thank you for how good you are, that you are God with us, that we don't have to go through life alone, that in everything that we do and wherever you take us, you're with us. Whether you're encouraging us, you're strengthening us, you're empowering us, you're providing for us, you're leading us, you're, you're helping us, you're strengthening us. Lord, we want to thank you for that. And Lord, as we go out, we're confident that we're walking out in your blessing and your favor over us, that you're a good, that you're doing good things in us, that you're doing good things through us. And we, we just acknowledge that today in your holy and precious name. Amen.